Welcome to Notes from the Field, presented by Canon Press and Noeo Science. For all your homeschool science needs, be sure to check out noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com. N-O-E-O science.com. Good to be here with you, Gordon. Good to be here. As usual. And I, I was, um, you know, I get a couple of e-subscriptions to different science news services and different people who are kind of very much in the scientific literature. Mm-hmm. And they do some, you know, compilations or, or digest some of the current scientific literature that's out there because there's just so much out there. It's, it's hard to keep up oh. uh, unless you're a full-time researcher or something yep. where you kind of have to. And um, and so I uh, cr- comes across my my e uh, email inbox this this remarkable type of sea slug that seems to have some kind of shocking regenerative abilities. And then I That's was on for sure. Yeah, I was on social media last night. And a friend of mine who also stays very on top of these things posted posted that same article. So it seemed like a good one yeah. to talk about today. Not sure if, how you pronounce the genus. It's Elysia. That's how I, Elysia, Elysia. Elysia, something like that. Uh, uh, that's the genus. Yeah, E-L-Y-S-I-A. Um, yeah. And it's, although it's a sea slug, it's not the uh, nudibranch. Right. Most of us are familiar with nudibranchs. And they're, they kind of come in two general body, body forms, the aeolids and the dorids. But this is a different different group altogether, but yeah. it is a sea slug. So it's a marine it's a marine mollusk. It is a mollusk. But it does not have a shell like we'd think of a typical mm-hmm. gastropod. It is a gastropod, but it's, it's a, a shellless in, gastropod. Yeah, same with nudibranchs. Yeah. But um, it's just in sort of its own its own category, its own family. So that came across your inbox and so and you said it it's it has some Pretty amazing regenerative abilities. What are they? Some well, crazy and in 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 this in this soundbite world we live in. Of course, the the article writers and digesters use some fun language to capture your attention. But this sea slugs, I guess they're called the sacoglassins. I've never heard that term yeah. pronounced, but it's a same. So again, the gastropods, sna- snails that have shells are in this group as well. It's a mollusk, and mollusks also include all kinds of diverse, amazing yeah. creatures like octopodes. And as well as clams and yep. other other uh, bivalves, oysters, yeah, oysters. yeah. And so this creature, I'd, I've heard of amazing abilities that this creature had, but it wasn't this ability. And right. so we'll get to those other abilities in a minute. But the photo was there in front of me, and this creature apparently can electively. It's not forced upon. It's it. not forced upon. It can electively cause its own head to be removed from the rest of its body. It can decapitate. It can itself. decapitate, and they they made up a term for it called. Autotomy. Yeah. It's called autotomy. Well, yeah. And that's a term they use with, say, lizards, you know, with the uh, tails popping off. That's autotomy. Yeah. Which means self-cut. Okay. Uh, Auto means self and tomi means cut. So autotomy means cut yourself. And often lizards have that breakaway tail. Right. That slight tug or even stress will sometimes, even without a tug, will pop it off but this slug just sort of yeah can electively cause this they call it this breakage plane or or cleavage plane to separate the the head from the entire rest of the body including the heart including the cardiovascular system and the head just crawls away and the head is the end that survives yeah the rest of the body dies yeah yeah 
other invertebrates that the one particular invertebrate prior to this discovery was um, the flatworms that could you can slice and dice up planaria. That was kind of kind of the uh, intro biology introduction to uh, regeneration. So you yeah. slice and dice planaria, these little free living flatworms, and they can grow the missing part. You cut them longitudinally; they'll grow the uh, the mirror half back. Uh, wow! You could cut the the front end; the back half will grow in. I think there was cer- there was a certain part that needed to be included in the cut. But anyway, flatworms were considered simpler body plan, you know, and so this is pretty amazing. Mollusks are a little bit more, uh, well, there's no such thing as simple life. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, they are a more little bit and more, more elaborate. Less complex. Yeah, yeah, they're more, more complex uh, as far as the body systems than, say, the planaria. And so it was a little bit more shocking to see that it could just autonomize its body and um, live um, with just the essential equipment on the head with the mouth, the radula, which is this rasping tongue-like organ. Yep. But what, one of the other things that you alluded to that may help its head <laughs> uh, survive. It, it really, it really is. It's, it's, uh, it's almost kind of conjuring up a little bit of that hideous strength. Uh, oh yeah, the type. head. <laughs> I'm reading Paralandra right now. Oh, cool. So that hideous strength is coming up. But, yeah. Um, the thing about us humans, we sometimes think we are. Uh, well, we are definitely fearfully and wonderfully made. So I'm not taking that down. And we are made in the image of God, but you know, there's, God keeps us humble and we can't do cool things like regeneration (laughs) uh, until we, unless we did have those capabilities before the fall. And um, (laughs) that's possible. You know, we might be able to regenerate and you say, well, why would, why in the new heavens and the earth would we ever lose a limb? But maybe, maybe, he wants us to live pretty rough, you know, <laughs> fall off a cliff and in, like a in crab, the heavenly you know? Yosemite, El Capitan, we <laughs> lose a limb and uh, we just grow it back. But I like anyway, that. I'm sorry. No, I'm it's kidding. fun. You know, one of the things that uh, struck me about this paper, they did an interesting experiment with this. So this, this was documented during an experiment um, where they were, they were looking at uh, some other characteristics of these Elysia, Elysia. Uh, originally. Um, and so they started to do a little more analysis of the body of these individuals that, that went through this autotomy. Right. Um, and a significant number of them were, were parasitized mm-hmm. by a certain type of copepod. Right. Which is a little tiny crustacean. And yeah. Some, some of them are parasitic. Right. And so they, what they determined was that the parasites were living in the body parts that didn't include the head. Right, and so these creatures apparently, uh, at least there seemed to be a, some some statistical significance to this too. They were electing to shed their bodies, which were right. parasitized, and then regrow those bodies without the parasites. Yeah, so it was a way to rid themselves of parasites and like, drop and my body, drop the body. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to reproduce now because of these parasites. I better just grow a new body. Right, but it seems like the older sea slugs that were elected to decapitate themselves, some of those didn't make it. Right. Um, Significant uh, the, number. The younger ones could make it. But 
It was worth a try. It's worth a try. You know? <laughs> they were going to die anyway pretty soon. Um, so that, that, you know, thinking about these things, a lot, of, a lot of times when you're reading these types of papers, it's like over the top complexity. And yet they blithely just like, oh, this sheds new light on, now, I don't know if they did that in this paper, but they'll often say, this sheds new light on evolution and how uh, everything is just interpreted in light of evolution, even when they start unveiling these incredible complexities. Wait, and, and you know what that is? That's the just, doxology. Yeah. That's that their is, doxology. That's, that is their doxology. Absolutely. I didn't proves see that this proves time. proves evolution. You know, it doesn't matter how complex everything to them yeah. is another piece of affirmation, which it's not. It actually is showing how incapable the little play school toolbox of evolution, which is a little bit of natural selection, mutation, which generally degrades. A and, lot of hope. It's a very, very limited and very... Overrated, extremely overrated toolbox right. in evolution, which cannot build new body plans, cannot build new complexities. And so as they keep on exploring, which I'm glad they do, because that gives us stuff to talk about. Will. Absolutely. We, They're we unveiling can, God's creation unwittingly. Exactly. And they do a good job. I mean, yeah. they're experimentally, they can show how complex it is. The spiritual blindness is just mind-boggling. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't see any of that doxology in this article, but I did see a couple of other interesting things. One was from a different article, uh, which actually, uh, for at least the time being, is disproving a major tenet of kind of the newest version of evolution. Okay. Uh, they, were, they were hoping, um, because these creatures can also do some other amazing things, uh, these sea slugs, many of them are also photosynthetic. Right. And they don't start off that way. Right. But they actually steal those chloroplasts, right. those photosynthetic organelles from the algae they eat. And um, Now, do they, because many, I, I didn't look at it, because many invertebrates um, incorporate the whole algal cell. Yeah. So, like, um, the, generally, the, they're called zooxanthellae, which are the, uh, a type of dinoflagellate that is incorporated in their tissues. And dinoflagellates, and they photosynthesize and are mutualistic to a whole host of um, invertebrates from octopi hmm. to a lot of corals. Yeah. Slugs. And I'm just wondering if, I know sea slugs have them, cnidaria, other cnidaria besides coral that have these photosynthetic sea anemones. Some of them have them. Jellyfish have them. Yeah. A shocking number of animals yeah, that- have these. There, it's really spread over quite a few different groups. I don't have the list that I can r rattle off right right now, but uh, I'm just wondering if this sea slug has the whole organism that's photosynthesizing, or like as you mentioned, w were they stealing the organ organ the uh, chloroplasts? Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to uh, confirm this, but I'm pretty sure I read that there were a couple of different means. Some of them actually keep the algal colonies alive and kind of intact and use those as kind of the photosynthetic basis uh, for getting their nutrients. But I'm fairly certain that there was mention of the chloroplasts themselves Just, being okay, taken, yep. taken out of the digestive stream and somehow that's a, repurposed. That's, that's, that's really cool. That sort of reminds me of the, um, the nudibranchs that digest 
the nidocytes of various cnidarians like sea anemones and and things like that digest them so they they do take the organ they do take the actually no they they take the cells they don't take the whole organ just, just the cnidocytes yeah and then uh transport them up up their little frilly things called serrata yeah that's the word i was looking for it too and they yeah. they incorporate their the the stinging cells the cnidocytes up into the serrata and so it's what pretty amazing that they can eat an anemone oh and, that's incredible and not discharge the cnidocytes that's just pretty mind blowing and then repurpose them yeah. for their own defense add on to their home make a special yeah. upper room for so these little guys so that just reminded me of you know e you know eating the algae and then reusing those photosynthetic organelles which i don't want to get too much on a tangent but just the fact that animals whether they're using just the chloroplasts or they're using the whole algal cell living in their tissues is just amazing to me that you know, the animals can photosynthesize using their little symbiotic, uh, it, symbionts that, you know, make a little supplement their, their diet. Right. They can go months without being a, uh, consumer. They don't have to consume anything. If they run out of food, they can photosynthesize for up to four months. Yeah. Based on having those algal cells present. That is just, it's incredible. It's, you know, just think about it. If we can Besides regeneration, you know, lose an arm, grow one back, you know, put all the prosthetic companies out of business. But yeah. But then having symbionts so we can just kind of go out for a little for a little sun. Sun bathing for lunch. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as you just uh, lay out and uh uh, and they, and you don't have to be green like the lady in Paralandra. <laughs> you don't have to. You, you, you can have these uh, algal symbionts that are golden brown. Yeah. So you have a nice golden brown <laughs> tan. You don't even have to be green. I love and, it. And still photosynthesize. There, there were, a, probably still are a few folks. My brother was friends with one of these guys who was convinced that he was autotrophic. Really? And he would go to this certain place at a certain time of day or year and stand in the sun and be utterly convinced that he was actually feeding himself by taking that sunlight and, and combining it with the, the CO2 uh, and water to actually uh, make his own food. He, he later recanted. Okay. He, he wrote a whole book about it before he recanted. But right. well, He finally got hungry. <laughs> he finally got hungry. Exactly. These sea slugs I mean, are I'm so amazing. I'm beginning to, I have a rubber boa. I love rubber boas, my snake. And, They're beautiful. And, they are beautiful, nice, you know, they range in different types of browns, but my rubber boa, he's not full grown. He's about three quarter size and he doesn't eat from say October to April. And it's he doesn't- a long stint. Yeah, it's a long stint. And he, I, I'm not putting him under any kind of hibernation factor, environmental factors. So yeah. he's in the lab, he's in normal room temperature, and he doesn't seem that beefy going into hibernation. And I'm beginning to think that it's <laughs> horotrophic. <laughs> but um, like, no, he probably isn't. But, you know, it's tempting to um, weigh him all the way through the winter and see if he's uh, slowly losing weight. Yeah. And you got you to start taking that monthly weigh-in. Yeah. yeah. Well, weekly weigh-in. Weekly. Weekly weigh-in. 
And uh, just because he's got to be doing a pilot light because I burn, you know, his whole body weight in fat in just a day. So That is remarkable. So it's, um, so he's s- definitely on a pilot light. But anyway, that's sort of neither here nor there. Um, but these, these creatures are just amazing. They're incredible. And, and the one that's become most famous recently, they're, I mean, they're millimeters to centimeters in size. They're tiny little sea slugs. Um, and I like that distinction you made between sea slugs and nudibranchs. Uh, the diversity of these types of shellless mollusks, there are hundreds of these species out right. there in the world's ocean. Um, and they're really beautiful. The one uh, that's most well-known lately is the Atlantic species called Elysia chlorotica. It's most well-known because it looks like a leaf. Wow. It actually looks like a leaf, except for the head with those two, those two kind of antennae there of sorts, those, um, those tentacles that are for sensing. They, it actually looks just like a leaf. It has venation that looks like a wow. leaf's venation. Those aren't- those, Which those. is weird because if they're an ocean critter, you know, why, why even have a leaf shape? It right. It's understandable if you're an insect and you're in the, uh, in the forests and you want to have this camouflage that makes you look like a leaf or a de- decomposing leaf, right. which is amazing. It makes sense in a pond, maybe. Yeah. So maybe they, they, they live in a, a place where leaves fall into the water. I don't know. Or maybe the Lord just said, hey, hey I'm, I'm going to give you some blinding like- evidence for, you know, thinking deeper about this, yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. So how big did you say the Elysia? Uh, so By the way, if you want to look it up on, on the internet, it's uh, E-L-Y-S-I-A. Yep. And isn't there some type of kind That's of metaphysical genus. or... Or philosophical, the Elysian shores, I'm isn't that, that kind of Elysium, means heavenly? Elysium is Elysium. a, I wasn't classically trained. So uh, we're both public school kids. Yeah, we're both. And they gave us a show. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're tiny. So there you go. How, uh, to how many millimeters? So about 10 millimeters wide and maybe 30 long. Maybe. Oh, okay. So it's three centimeters. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they're visible with they're, the naked eye. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to look for them, but I think if a whole bunch washed up on shore, you'd definitely be aware. A lot of nudibranchs are about that big. Yeah. And, so. here, and here's that remarkable breakage plane, and you can actually see it yeah. uh, with a naked eye. You can see it's almost like a perforation. Yeah. Uh, we have all these perforated so, uh, items, and that it's I'm, just, it's built I, I'm, with I'm, the I'm, opportunity to- Have they studied the, the physiology of the break? Um, because I know that when we're in development and our fingers, we're in, uh, in utero and we're developing, our fingers are sort of hooked together. Right. Uh, so our, our hands, when we're really tiny in our mother's womb, our, hand, our fingers are glued together, our toes are glued together, and then cleavage breaks uh, form yeah. to form our fingers. And it's because of Apoptosis. Apoptosis, that's right. Apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. Yeah. Where the cells sort of release their lysosomes. The lysosomes are little organelles filled with digestive enzymes. And so basically, the cells just program to release these and sort of self-destruct. But they're self-destructing in a programmed location so that your finger separates. So I'm wondering if there's a similar a similar thing going on here where you have programmed cell death right at the cleavage. No, plane. that's an excellent, uh, that's an excellent hypothesis. This article didn't say, didn't, so it sounds like they're still sorting there, that yeah. out. One thing yeah. they did mention though, is simply the fact that 
Uh, you have you know, a limited number of cells that make up the head and any part that comes off of the rest of the body. The rest of the body decays. And so this gets also at the ingenuity of the of the genome, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you, this creature has to regrow its entire cardiovascular system, its heart, and all of these other inter internal organs and somehow survives without them during that time. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amazing yeah, so their, organism. Their, their mouth can feed. And so, so they're probably using some of the nutrients. I'm not sure how the, um, the food is delivered to all the cells in the head. Usually, you know, it's absorbed in the gut, but apparently nutrients can be absorbed from whatever's left of the gut. There's going to be mouth and maybe a smidge of the esophagus. Yeah. And so somehow either the food is redirected right into the tissues of the head after feeding. I'm just thinking out or, loud. Yeah, or they're just kind of living off the, the residual. Or photosynthetic. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, the photosynthesis is a critical part of this one. Uh, is there uh, photosynthetic stuff up in the head as yeah, well? Yeah, they're green throughout. Um, so okay. I would assume that that's because of chlorophyll concentration. That's great. Yeah, amazing creature. So wow. I know on the, on the dorids, which are one group of nudibranchs, those uh, fleshy tentacles are called rhinophores. Right. I, I wonder, did they label those two, that pair of things sticking out the head? They didn't. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure what I know the difference in anatomy between these guys and the... and the. Uh, they look definitely very nudibranchy. Nudibranchy, they do. But um, yeah. and like I said, all of those guys are, are sea slugs. That's sort of a general term for any gastropod that's shallowest, that's in the ocean. And then you can break them up into various groups taxonomically. Yeah, and I, I you know, maybe, maybe we can kind of close on this more philosophical note. I... One thing that I struggle with as a biology teacher is, you know, wanting to teach the basics, but also wanting to capture the wild, mm -hmm. insane diversity out there. I know. That's, um, that's always that, that balance. Right. Because there are general themes and there are variations on a theme. And, and really, I try to come with the, up with analogies. There are very few, quote unquote, hard, fast rules right. in biology like there are in physics and chemistry. Right. It's because the diversity and the, and the possibilities, the raw materials are so great. Right. That we have almost this, um, at least to our eyes so far, an unlimited uh, diversity possibility. Right. So what I do when I'm doing a survey of life, uh, which is like trying to cover all of the kingdoms, is to try to pick rep either representative species and just, you know, sometimes they might not be uh, these bizarre things like this sea slug. But you can even teach the the basics in in such a way as to enthrall yeah i again i i refer that uh, as the magnificence of the mundane but you can also as you're going through the different groups of plants is to often a lot of common things have amazing things yeah so that that's what i would call the magnificence of the mundane but also you can pick out showcase pieces that just is incredibly spectacular in what they do and just sprinkle them in as sort of spice to keep interest up. Yeah. I, I kind of confess to my students halfway through that, 
you know, as science teachers, we spend an awful lot of our time lying to them. <laughs> you know, we, we say these are the criteria for being an animal. These are the criteria for being a plant. These are the criteria for being this Gen creature. These are and then we break all our rules. Yeah, yeah. There's general features, you <laughs> know, right. general features of these different groups. And I, I think, you know, when you're teaching grade school kids, that's where it usually comes in where you say, um, say amphibians lay, uh, lay jelly-coated eggs in the water. Except when they don't. Um, <laughs> it, 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 there's there's so right. many exceptions to the rule. You say crustaceans have two pairs of antennae, except when they don't. Yeah. There's a lot of rule breakers. Just like uh, English language, we can say, okay, you're going to learn the, the, the rule. You're going to learn the rule. That doesn't mean it's a hard and fast one. But this is the rule. I don't want to complicate your life too much by right. telling you all of the bizarre variations on amphibian reproduction. Let's learn the basic one and then just kind of tuck in the back of your mind that there's exceptions to this. Yeah. I'm not going to confuse you with them. Just know there's some rule breakers. Right. And you just have and, to. Uh, because have to... It, it, it's doing them a disservice if you just pepper them with all the exceptions right. and then they can't even learn the rule. It's too incoherent. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, no, that's, there's a lot of truth there. Um, I had a, a organic chemistry professor who kind of wrestled with this philosophically. His name was, uh, his name was Dr. Chitaranjan. He was raised in British India, had this beautiful British accent. He was a Christian and he was in class and he would quote T.S. Eliot during organic chemistry class. Wow. Where and was he, this? And see, no, this was in Wisconsin. Okay. Wow. And, um, yeah. And Stevens he, point. Stevens point. And he would also, he had this wonderful saying, I spent more time writing down his sayings than the, the, or, the organic chemical <laughs> pathways, unfortunately. <laughs> But he had this wonderful saying, there's no such thing as an exception. There's merely a incomplete understanding of a phenomena. And I just thought that was really rich, you nice. know, and we work so hard and we're getting closer and we get closer. Uh, sanctification occurs as more is revealed to us, but we're never going to completely uh, pin the Lord down in his, in his mm -hmm. uh, rulemaking. Right. Yeah. He likes, he likes to mess with our hair. We get, yeah. It's fine to get those tidy categories, but just keep. Keep in mind that, I mean, I feel like, you know, with even taxonomy, you're seeing all these different creatures and then God makes the duckbill platypus. Says, I <laughs> right. wonder what the evolutionists are going to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what's going to happen. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. So just an, another, uh, just a single group of creatures uh, in the Lord's magnificent menagerie he's created uh, for us to, to learn about, have dominion over and take it. Uh, be blessed by in many myriad mm -hmm. ways, um, and regeneration just one of the the phenomena. Yeah, uh, that that kind of is on exhibition here. That's great. Well, good to talk to you. Good well, chatting with you, Gordon. We'll see you. See ya. See ya.